Hello and welcome to the East Baltimore Graffiti Church's podcast. We are so excited to have you join us today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at ebgraffitichurch at gmail.com. Or you can check us out on our website at ebgraffitichurch.org. You can open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our series. So, um, again... I have to be honest with you, we're going to take another walk this morning. It's the fourth of our five walks. I'd like to tell you I wore my tennis shoes this morning because I knew we were going for a walk, but the reality is I wore my tennis shoes this morning because I was lazy, but my feet feel good. I'm ready for this walk we're about to take, right? We're going to take another walk. You remember now in Ephesians 4.1, Paul calls us to walk in unity as a church, right? This is one of the great themes of the book of Ephesians. And he says, as followers of Jesus Christ, walk in unity, those of you who have committed your lives to him. And then in verse 17 of chapter four, Paul calls us to walk in holiness because we are new people in Christ Jesus. And our new lifestyle should reflect our new position. Then we are called to live out this new lifestyle, walking in love. Paul calls us in Ephesians to love one another. One of the great themes of this book He wraps up all his instruction to the Ephesian church and to you and me in these themes of walking in unity and walking in love. Remember, this love is challenging, right? Because sometimes love is tough. Sometimes we have to do difficult things. Sometimes love is a commitment. Love is action. Love is hard work, right? When we say we love one another in the church, that means we're putting in work. Sometimes I am not real lovable. And Paul says here in the Bible, God says, you are supposed to love me anyway. Sometimes I'm really not very lovable. Paul says, you're still supposed to love me. Oh, my. So so these themes of unity and love, there's this great thing called the church that Jesus died for. And he called these people who looked different from one another, came from different places, worshipped God differently, and really hated each other. And he calls them together and puts them all in a room together and says, this is my church, you are my people. Now, you Jews and you Gentiles, some of you were near to God, many of you were far away from God. In Christ Jesus, we are to love people that we used to hate. We are to love people who look differently than we do when we walk into the room together. We are to love people who may have worshipped God differently than we did, but in Christ Jesus now we all worship God in spirit and in truth as we are instructed in the Word of God. So Paul, Paul says, look, God, this is, a, this is a tough call. This is something that we're supposed to continually be doing in the church. So in the church, big church, right? All followers of Jesus all across the world. But also on Greenmount Avenue at East Baltimore Graffiti Church, if this is your church, we are making a commitment, if you're a member of this church, if you're a follower of Jesus, really, that you, we are committing to love one another. So when we're taking these walks, um, when we are in the second half, right, of Ephesians, the second half of Ephesians is all about our new lifestyle. In the theology of one through three, we learn a lot of things about who God is and Jesus and his love and his sacrifice and the church. And then in four through six, we're putting it all to work, right? It's the application, the living it out chapters. And so 
And so here we are in the middle of chapter five, and we're going to walk in the light today. We have a new one. Miss Melissa read our scripture and prayed for us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. So walking in the light, and I will say this to begin. I start this section, and your Bible might not. I start this section in verse 7, and I won't belabor the point except to say it begins with therefore, and it's a pattern that Paul is using. Um, so he's referring back to what he's been saying, but he's starting a new thought, right? You guys, we've talked about that. So verse 7, he uses that therefore again. He says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. So we're going to talk about walking in the light, but uh, Paul is giving us a warning, right? And it's also another imperative, right? Is an imperative a suggestion? No, the answer is no. Say no. Oh my goodness, man. Y'all ain't talking back at all today. No. It's an imperative is not a suggestion. An imperative is when your dad said, when your mom said, clean your room or take out the trash. And if you don't do it before your dad gets home, you know something's going to happen, right? That's an imperative. Mom wasn't suggesting that you clean your room. Dad wasn't suggesting that I clean up all the tools that I had all across his garage floor working on our motorcycles all day. I, those tools better not be on that floor when he gets home that evening all across that garage, right? That was not a suggestion. My dad didn't say, if you feel like it, put my tools away. No, boy. And if it starts, oh, that was, a, that was a serious indicator. Paul doesn't say that. Paul doesn't use that language. The tools better be put away off my garage floor. That's an imperative. All right. So y'all made me do it all over again. But we're talking about walking today, walking in the light, right? So psychologists tell us that one of the most difficult conditions a person can be forced to bear is light deprivation. Darkness, and I don't watch a whole lot of those. Well, I watch too much TV, so that's a confession. But but I don't watch a whole lot of those military movies, but darkness, in fact, is often used in military captivity or penal institutions to break down an individual's sense of self. Once a person becomes disoriented, once they lose a sense of where they are and what it is that lurks in the darkness around them or where the next crevice or wall or attack may be coming from, once they can no longer feel in control of their physical surroundings, a person loses a sense of self. Every shred of self-confidence shrivels. I hope I remember to refer back to that in a few minutes. The giant within them falls, and they become whimpering prey of the unknown. The natural instinct to be combative is paralyzed by fear. The spirit of resistance weakens. The prisoner becomes more pliable, more submissive, more willing to take directions. It disarms a person. This fall into the sinkhole of sensory deprivation. It can drive them to madness. It is, every military knows, an effective technique. Nothing does more than darkness to isolate us from the sense of human support and understanding, which, whether we're commonly conscious of it or not, is the human being's main source of self-definition. Indeed, darkness separates us from reality. It disorients a person both physically and psychologically. So I've never served in the military. 
I've never served in a war zone and I've never been a prisoner of war. But I can't imagine, you know, over a period of hours and then days or weeks and months that someone could be under those conditions and be treated that way. I do believe when they tell us that, that you know, that those things result from being kept in that type of darkness. So we're going to have talk about three things today. And you think you might get off early and get out easy today just because I have three points, but you're not. So relax, relax. I will tell you, I will tell you, you'll still get up to the buffet before the Methodists. We always get out before they do. But number one, number one, Paul tells us in our section today, walking in the light means not partnering or participating. Couldn't decide which one I like better today, so you're stuck with both. Walking in the light means not partnering with unbelievers. Now, that sound might sound a little vague, but Paul says very specifically in the imperative in verse 7, do not be partakers with them. And that means several things, and uh, it's a pretty simple, straightforward imperative, right? But that uh, I thought about four things that the scriptures support. One, one, it is dangerous. You are a follower of Jesus, right? And we're going to continue. And I'm going to repeat several things you've been hearing the last few weeks, but so is Paul in the scriptures, right? So I'm not just being lazy here. It's dangerous because you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your partnerships, your relationships, those with whom you are connected in your life may need to change. Actually, it's not a suggestion. He says they must change. Now, at what level? What does that look like in real life? We're going to talk about that in a minute. Because he says now your lives are going in, B says now your lives are going in different directions. Today I am glad that they're up there all at once because I, do, I want you to kind of take them in there. Your lives are going in different directions. How do I know that? Paul says, he uses this word former and formerly like three times. In Ephesians 2, 2, when he talks about our spiritual condition before knowing Christ, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. That's a walk that you used to take that you and I are to no longer be taking, right? There are some walks we should not be taking. Now, I thought about this as a person in recovery, right? When I think about active addiction, among all the heart and gut-wrenching things that addiction is, its root and its base, it, it comes from sin. Um, many of us, many of you, you experience things in your lives and think, and, and I'm not going to do Dr. Phil today, and this is not an AA meeting, but you hear what I'm saying. My first AA meeting when I was 22 years old, I remember, I remember this man like it was yesterday, and this was a very long time ago, if you know how old I am now. Uh, this man, I was in my very first AA meeting in recovery, and this man stood up. Why I remember, I don't know, African-American wearing a bush. I think I remember him because he was loud and he was very convincing. And he, said, and he knew we were in there, right? He might have been putting it on just a little bit for all us new kids in the room. But he said some things. He said, if your playgrounds, your play friends, and your play places, and your play toys don't change, you will be right back out there using you will be right back out. So my playgrounds had to change, my play toys had to change, and my play friends had to change. That's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying some things do have to change when I become a follower of Jesus Christ. Partnerships, partnerships 
uh, those people with whom I participate doing uh, a, a lot of things in life, and now I touched on the negative ones, you might be, you know, and I think in the working world and, and in business, you just have to be, we just have to be wise, right, in our employment and in our, in how we do business, right? But Paul's saying here, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's, your lives are going in different directions now. The old man is dead. I am a new person in Christ. When I was a younger man, I, I did not want to use cocaine and drink Budweiser's anymore. I wanted, to, I wanted to be a sober person. And as someone who had been introduced to Jesus Christ, right, um, that second and third step of, of recovery about coming to believe that a greater power greater than myself would restore me. That was Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn my life and my will over to the care of God is what we're talking about today. Amen. So that worked for me, right? As a person going into recovery, but the old partnerships had to end. And you know what else happens to us? What Paul said, the way he says this here in the Greek language, you're not just identified with the behavior. You're identified with the people. So, you know, whether you're out on the corner or whether, you're, you're, whether, whether your mess takes place out on the corner, whether it takes place in some club late at night like mine used to, wherever it used to take place, right? Yeah, those partnerships got to go. Those part hey, look, there are some folks that might be quote unquote good folks, right? But you just, you just find yourself that you just can't be with them. I lost some family. When I got sober, I had some family that didn't want anything to do with me anymore because they thought I was uppity, self-righteous, and, you know, some of those other things that you don't say in church. And so, but, but guess what? God gave me a new family. God gave me a new place to have new partnerships and new relationships. And then lastly, lastly, we got to remember this. We have to be wise. We do not, however, totally withdraw from people. In 1 Corinthians 5.9, Paul is reminding them, if we totally pull ourselves out of the world and separate from the world, how are we going to testify? How are we going to share the gospel? How are we going to love people and care for people that don't know Jesus yet? Paul's not saying totally separate yourself and act like yourself righteous or better than someone. No. Paul is saying we are in the world, but we are no longer of the world, right? And so we do want this last warning here. And, and I think um, a couple of the smart guys that I read during the week, they do say that this is kind of implied here. And in Corinth, in the uh, church at Corinth, Paul had to remind the people that you don't just totally separate. It's just unrealistic. That's right. So we're forming new partnerships. We're leaving some behind. Walking in the light means not partnering with unbelievers. That's what we're talking. That's what Paul's talking about. Verses eight and nine, we're going to see that walking in the light means you have a new identity in Christ. This is just Paul is beating this to death, so we'll beat it to death too. Paul is repeating this, right? He told the Jews and the Gentiles, "You guys don't look like each other. You hate each other. You used to hate each other. You worship differently." And yet he says, you know what? All of you, hey, you Jews, you're not just Jews anymore. As a matter of fact, we're doing, um, we're doing a Bible study uh, called Oneness Embraced with Dr. Tony Evans. By the way, y'all know Dr. Tony Evans is from Baltimore too. Um, and via modern technology, hey, Dr. Evans is teaching us in Bible study. And he talks about this. And you know what he said to us this morning? 
my identity in Christ comes before, before my ethnic or racial identity. So while we embrace our ethnic identity, we are not to act like we don't have one. We are to embrace who we are and where we came from and what we look like. But it comes, it comes through the lens or the worldview of my identity in Christ comes first. You're a new creation in Christ. That is a position of righteousness that you and I only have because of Jesus Christ. Amen? So, so he's telling these Jews who thought they were better than everybody else because they already, they already had the end with God, right? Old Testament, right? They thought they were good. And then he's telling the Gentiles, he's telling the Gentiles, he said, you are no better than these Jews either. He says, in Christ Jesus, we share this identity. We share this call from God to live in love and to live in unity. So when the Jew came into the church, he received his new identity. It didn't mean he stopped being Jewish. It meant that Jesus came first. When the Gentiles, by the way, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. You're with me. And when we come into the church and come to know Christ, we don't discard who we are or how God created us or what we look like in the mirror. But Jesus Christ now comes first. Now when Jesus comes first for the Jew and the Gentile, or Jesus comes first for the white guy and the black guy, we can come into the church of Jesus Christ and we have this unity that Paul says God is insisting that we need to have so that we represent Jesus Christ correctly to the world. So he says, you're a new creation in Christ. God's word provides light for the journey. Look, y'all, I just snuck that in there. That is nowhere in this text. So I'm just going to be honest with you. But I could not leave out Psalm 119 that says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If we're taking a walk, sometimes we got to walk at night. Sometimes I walk down Greenmount Avenue at night. <laughs> God's word provides light for the journey. I'll never forget, there was a story, true story. We were all camping. It was a church camping trip. All, all the parents were sitting up around the campfire eating s'mores, like nodding out, right? And the kids were all over the place. Well, it got to be about 9 o'clock at night. We were counting kids, and we were missing a couple. And my friend Donnie, his son was missing, and my son was missing. I said, man, we're all out here on the woods, the top of the mountain, the river, the river's down there at the bottom. And it's so dark, if once you get away from the campfire, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And I said, oh, Jesus, help me. We got to go look for these boys. Well, Donnie and I weren't real bright either, right? We weren't campers. The campers, we should have been. We jumped up, walked away, and we started going down the side of the mountain through the trees towards the river and looking for the boys. Well, we didn't take anything. We had a lighter. Who had a lighter, right? I don't think, at that point, I had even quit smoking. I didn't even smoke cigarettes anymore. But we're trying to get down through the woods with a, with a bick. It's, it's dark. It's scary dark out in the woods, right? I'm a city kid. That wasn't real bright. We couldn't see very well. So, and here's what happened. We get all the way down to the bottom. We get almost to the bottom. And all of a sudden, we turn this corner and we see this humongous light out on this little island in the middle of the river. These knuckleheads, they were smarter than us. They had waded across the Shenandoah River out to the little island, and they had a 10-foot-tall campfire. They could see everything coming their way. So I guess the boys were smarter than They weren't supposed to be down there, you know, that, 
But they had a, why? Because they had a light. They could see what they were doing. So I always think about that when I think about that verse in Psalms. That was free. Like I said, the text doesn't tell us anything about that today. Except I do know when I'm on my walks, especially when I'm on a walk at night, and sometimes you feel like it's nighttime when you're walking, don't you? Sometimes you have dark days, right? The Bible says um, God's word provides light for the journey. Okay, well, that one was free, and I just threw it in there, right? But darkness, and here's something we have to remember. And this sounds really simple, and yet it means so much spiritually. In John chapter 1, right, you'll be familiar with this. Darkness cannot overcome the light. Darkness cannot overcome the light. In him was life. Who? Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light, Jesus, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. The darkness did not, could not overcome the light. When we shine the light of Jesus Christ, when we shine that light in the dark corner, now be careful because you're going to see some stuff, when in the dark corners of our lives, it exposes some things that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So we like to, we might like to shine the light in somebody else's light, in somebody else's life. Sometimes it's a little scary, a little dicey when the light gets shined in the dark corners of our lives. But nonetheless, darkness cannot overcome the light. You are in Jesus now who is the light. John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So does Jesus contradict himself next? Because next he says, you have a new purpose in life too. In Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 through 16, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Your life is like a candle. He said, you don't put that light under a bushel. No. Y'all want me to sing the song? You don't want me to sing the song. Sarah knows the song. That's right. That's right. We teach it to her. We, we got to sing that with the kids this summer. I'm coming in for that one. But, but yeah, Jesus says, now you are the light of the world. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, right? Jesus living through you shines the light of the gospel in your city for people who do not yet know Jesus. And the light of the gospel that is in you, follower of Jesus, dispels the darkness. We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to live in fear because Jesus in us, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, that's the nature and character of who he is. So the light of the world not only lives in you, but he also says, now you and I, we are the light of the world. And our light is supposed to shine for his glory. That's why I say you have a new purpose in life. Your light, my light, is to shine for his glory. He tells us that. Next, he says, you will recognize moral good and generosity. He said, verse 9, there was a parenthetical statement. And I'm going to go easy on you if you trust me. It says, the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. It's talking about moral good and generosity. Not only will you recognize moral good, but you will, God, he, Jesus in you, will make you a more generous person. And the righteousness of Jesus Christ that resides in you not only causes you to be in right standing with God, but um, um, yeah, it allows you to live right righteously in front of the world. You will recognize moral good and generosity and righteousness. 
one, oh, and that's G. You will recognize the reality of right living as opposed to false living. Told you I was going to go easy. I don't have to explain that to you, right? When God shines a light through his word, through who he is in your life, through you being a follower of Jesus, you, you will recognize it. And if anything in your spirit says, mm, what is this? You know what? It might just be the light shining in some shine in some darkness, and maybe you're not supposed to go there, right? Because the Holy Spirit in you will reveal that to you. But thirdly, walking in the light is pleasing to the Lord. Oh, I told you it would get good, right? Walking in the light is pleasing to the Lord. One, we see this warning again. We see this warning again. We're really going in verses uh, 8 through 14. I put there 8 through 10, but again, I'm going to go easy on you today. He says here, um, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, what is pleasing to the Lord? We can no longer participate in evil behavior. So we have to break partnerships and relationships sometimes, right? Not participating um, in, the, in the darkness in our former lives, but also we can no longer participate in evil behavior at all. Is that redundant? Is Paul repeating himself? Uh, bless you. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. We can no longer, according to verse 11, participate. By the way, you saw in verse 9, right? Fruitful, right? The results of living a righteous life and, and where you live. Now you see the unfruitful deeds of darkness. And he says, but not only that, he says, we must even expose them. Now here, I got lost for a minute. I had to, I, I had to get my hat on. I had to do a little prayer. I had to get my my concentration had on, I had to pray to Jesus for a little wisdom, and I had to trust what other people write about the Bible sometimes. But then when it all comes down to it, uh, here's what I believe we're seeing here. One, Paul says we can no longer participate in evil behavior. Matter of fact, a few years ago, a journalist, his name was Joseph Blackman, wrote an op-ed on an interesting subject, why clubs are dark. <laughs> Some of y'all gonna appreciate this. Now, don't laugh too much. Don't give yourself away. That is, why is it when you walk into a nightclub or a bar, the lights are off or at a minimum very low? It's probably something you've noticed before. But did you ever take time to wonder why? Of course, I did. The journalist, this journalist, who acknowledges that he spent a lot of time in clubs and bars, and his reasons are quite interesting. He said. The more we know that we are concealed by darkness, the less self-conscious we are. Darkness hides things. Darkness hides things. You ever get up in the middle of the night and try to make your way down the hallway in the dark, kick something with your big toe, trip over something, say something that you didn't really want Jesus to hear? So one is more inclined to approach a woman at night in a jam-packed room with loud music than in broad daylight in a quiet coffee shop. Oh my. You combine this with alcohol and the results are rather obvious, anonymous hookups. Darkness, Blackman goes on, heightens anonymity. I can get away with something in the dark, you might not see me. The mask of darkness allows one to act other than themselves. These are some things he concluded in his little study, right? A part of the stain of sin is that we do those things we are ashamed of in the dark, not allowing the light of Christ to break through. And while you can inhibit your self-consciousness for a season, at some point you have to face yourself in the mirror. 
Sometimes it's easy to point at booze and clubs and hooking up. I understand. And that's not everybody's sin, but you get the idea, right? So eventually, right, eventually the fun wears off, right? And we have to face ourselves in the mirror. The point is simply that uh, we are to no longer be walking in the darkness. Now, here's the hard part. Paul's talking to Christians. Well, why has he got to be telling Christians all this? He already told them they're new creations. He already told them, y'all cut that stuff out. Well, because sometimes living in this flesh, you and I, even as followers of Jesus, even in the church, we will, we will sin. And left unattended, some of us, I have done it before, we can fall into a pattern of unconfessed sin even while we're in the church knowing Jesus. It can happen. Now, whole another theological question. I continue in unrepentant sin. You know, you might want to question my salvation somewhere along the line. That's a whole other conversation, not for this morning. But what Paul is saying here, and I'm pretty confident of it, is there's a mess going on in the church, and the things in verses, um, the things in verses 11 through 13 that he's talking about are going on with Christians in the church. Back in the day, we used to call that backsliding right? We don't use that word anymore, right? But Christians living in unrepentant sin, right? You get to that place of complacency, right? And you say, you know what? I'm getting away with this. I still love Jesus. I still give my tithe. 